Okay, well, we're going to uh, have a look together at this passage. It's, uh, there's a lot in it, um, and we won't have cha- a chance to kind of go into all the depths of it just in the time we have. But uh, don't worry, I do read it at home. Think about what we, we learn. And uh, there's also the house groups. If you're in a house group, then uh, you'll probably be looking at it this week some more. If you're not in a house group, then you uh, be, ought to get into one. And you can talk to somebody on the welcome area about that if you want to. So as Lou said, we're continuing on this series uh, about the, uh, from 1 Peter. This letter written to these Christians who are in a far-off corner of the Roman Empire. Uh, they get this letter in their little communities. It was probably uh, one letter that was then kind of written round or, or sent round as a round robin. Uh, but, uh, and it came from the Apostle Peter, Peter the disciple. We're talking about the very early days of Christianity. And he's helping them, he says, at the end of the, his letter, he says, I've, I've written to you briefly, he says, although it's not that brief, saying, saying, this is the true grace of God, stand firm in it. He says that in, in chapter 5. And all, this letter is about standing firm for God. Their faith has got to be real, because for them, real life uh, was not too easy. And as, we, uh, as Lou reminded us, last week we saw how Jesus is the cornerstone. Peter says that Christian faith is built completely upon him, begins as we come to him. And these believers were in a community that were kind of like a building built all around Jesus. They were a new kind of community, Peter tells them. Twice, he says in that passage, they're priests. They've got a new purpose in living. He says to praise Jesus, to serve him, and to point people to Jesus. Peter says, you're like priests, you're to declare the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvellous, his wonderful light. They've got a new identity. They're a holy nation. They belong to God. They have a new purpose. They're to be priests, people who point people to Jesus. And they've got a new place now. They're in the light. They were in the darkness. Now they're in the light. So they're not quite as they used to be. Verse 11 says, they're like aliens and strangers. Peter's saying your identity is rooted somewhere else now. Something has happened to you that's made you feel a bit different. That you don't quite belong in the same way that you did. That's why at the beginning of the letter, he describes them as exiles. He writes to the exiles. People, exiles are people who are kind of at home where they are, but they're they're, they're longing for something else. Their real identity um, is elsewhere. When I was a a young person in my early teens, uh, I went to a youth group and uh, we used to sing songs in our youth group. And uh, we used to sing songs from a book called uh, Youth Praise. Some of you boomers uh, like me may remember uh, that book. And one of the songs we used to sing was a song that went like this. I'm not going to sing it. I was going to play it to you, but time is a bit short. So it went like this. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Remember that? Some of you are nodding. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. This is good, isn't it? The... (laughs) The Saviour beckons me from heaven's open door and I don't feel at home in this world anymore. Okay, remember that song? And it went along to this ridiculous little kind of skippy tune, kind of, kind of thing. And actually, it, the, the, the subject matter couldn't be more serious. I don't feel at home. 
My home is somewhere else, but it was reduced to this skippy, skippy, kind of happy, happy, it's all right, it's fine, all I have to do is wait for heaven kind of tune, which of course I never noticed at the time, but that's why I wanted to show you, uh, play you the clip. Because actually, it wasn't easy not being at home in this world anymore for these believers. To start with, they were being accused of being cannibals. We've got writings from the first century, from Tacitus and Suetonius, people like that, who who describe the, the criticisms against the Christian community. These people are cannibals. They eat people because they didn't understand what was going on at communion. They said these people are incestuous. They talk about each other. They, they have, you know, they, they share one another sexually. That's why they all call each other brothers and sisters. That's what the Romans were saying about them. These people, they were saying, are atheists because we are, we we believe in gods. These people say there's no god, only Jesus. They're atheists. They were under a lot of pressure. Actually, not being at home in this world anymore wasn't something you just kind of skipped along to. It was pretty darn difficult. Really, really hard. Not belonging, not really belonging, can be a bit of a challenge. A jury's still out on it yet, but this new Channel 4 series, The Event, is about people who are quite like us but don't belong in this home, in, in this world anymore. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about, some of you do. They're like aliens and strangers. See how that show carries on, it'll be interesting. But what are they to do? What are we to do not being at home? We're to live good lives, verse 12. Live such good lives, says Peter. And the rest of this letter is about living good lives in a place where you're not quite at home. In the heat of tough times. Not skipping along to a jolly tune about it. Why does uh, Peter want them to do this? What's the point of living good lives, verse 12? So that other people will glorify God. Why should they glorify God? Because God is going to intervene again. God is going to visit you. One day he's going to come again at the end. He'll intervene big time. In the meantime, I think there's a secondary way in which the people around us can glorify God when he visits. God may be kind of visiting people, as it were, intervening in their lives in all kinds of small ways. So for us, we're strangers and aliens. We're not quite at home. But we are involved, living good lives, so Peter says, or we should be. Why? So that others get to know God. God might visit someone you know. See there, it says they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us, verse 12. Not literally on the doorstep, but maybe in a crisis, or in great joy, or in something that happens in their life. God kind of visits in those situations Will they see your good life and mine and be aware that God is drawing near to them on those kind of days? Let's see what Peter says about these good lives we're meant to live and who we're meant to be living in front of. Remember the reading? Where were these good lives meant to be seen? Where is it all meant to count then? Do you notice it? Where was it? As citizens in society... At work, he says, as slaves. At, at home, in your marriages. In those places, in the whole of life, that's where the good life is meant to be seen. 
These hours together on a Sunday are really great, but they're not the main event of our lives, are they? Of our Christian lives. Surely what counts is where we live as society members, as people who live in the world around us, as we work, as we live in our homes and our families. Our lives need to be good in those places. You can be as good as anything for a couple of hours on a Sunday morning. That's easy, relatively. What do these good lives look like? Did you notice? Did you spot the common to the areas Peter says? Peter picks up on each time, in each area. As citizens, in verse 13. As slaves, in verse 18. We'll talk about that. As wives, in verse 1 of chapter 3. And husbands, in verse 7. Submit, he says. Submit. I think sometimes we think of submit, I don't know about you, but I used to watch, uh, when I was, again, a little boy, I, don't know, I must be getting older, all these childhood memories come flooding back. Uh, I remember watching uh, professional wrestling on ITV, do you remember that, some of you? My grandmother, she was completely addicted to it, she used to go berserk, uh, I remember that. And you know, these guys like Mick McManus, they would wrestle somebody to the ground and they'd say, say submit, uh, and then the person would submit and then they, whatever. But that's not the kind of idea here. It's not this idea of being kind of forced to submit by somebody else. It has this idea of being somebody. It has this idea of being like a servant. Being willing to be people who serve others. The servant heart. That's what this is about. Putting others first. Doing good as we serve. And that serving, that doing good, has to work out in these three areas. And as Peter goes through them, he kind of unveils a little bit more about it, what it must mean. And we're going to look at them now together. First of all then, verses 13 to 17, good lives as people living in society. See, Peter says something that that says that there's something about human life. He talks, it's an unusual Greek word he uses, uh, apparently, He says human life gets structured, it gets organized, there there are various institutions amongst it. The way people kind of, you know, live their lives in Roman society or our society, life kind of, or even primitive so-called tribal societies, it kind of gets structured in certain ways. Uh, And that's what the NIV is, is, is suggesting. He's saying that in the way we live in those kind of structures, we're meant to be like servants. The word could also refer to being, being, it could be talking about other people. It could be just saying that uh, this, the the word that's used of institutions or every authority could just mean creatures, (laughs) other created human beings has that idea that we're meant to be servant-like towards our our fellow human beings. That, it has that idea. The sense of valuing people, being considerate, being servant-like. That's the way we're to approach life in society, says Peter, as servants. Now, is that how you live your life, or is that how I live mine? Is that how I think about other people around me? In, in my community, not the church community now, uh, our day-by-day, our neighbours, our friends, the people, you know, in our, our, our lectures, our, you know, the student union guys, the, the other union, you know, the non-student, you know, the regular union guys, the unison guys, and all of those, you know, the local politics, all of those things. So we, we see ourselves in, in those big contexts as people willing to be servants. That's what Peter's saying, to submit 
How can we do that? How could this possibly work? Well, there are three phrases that help us. Verse 13, Peter says, you do it for the Lord's sake. Verse 16, he says, live as free men. Live as servants of God. You see, this is where it all comes from. Peter says, you live as servants just because you're free. Because you are strangers and aliens, because there's something different about you, because now your allegiance is to God, because now you're in a different place completely, that leaves you, in in a sense, free to willingly serve wherever you are. And he's saying, as you, you're, you, you live as a servant-type person, you can do that because you don't have to, in one sense. Because, you, you know, God is your master. You are free. He set you free from everything else to love him and to serve him. So we can choose out of freedom to live intentionally, to do good to people. He says, we fear God... He's our Lord. That doesn't mean we're terrified in the sense that, you know, he crushes us and so on. But we we have our ultimate awesome authority to God. And because of that, we then honour the king. We honour the government, but our real allegiance is to God. And because our allegiance is to God, we're completely free to say, okay, government, I'm happy to do what you say. Now, there may be limits to that, but anyway, that's something you talk about in your home groups. It's not the final say. Think about the Sermon on the Mount. Remember the Sermon on the Mount? How does it begin? All those Beatitudes. Blessed are, blessed are, and so on. Jesus taught that. It starts off with all those people who are blessed by God, in relationship with God. And out of all that, those people, because they're blessed by God, because they know what it is to be in relationship with God, can do things like turn the other cheek, go the second mile, give to people, pray for people, bless those who persecute them. They can do that because, as Jesus says, you have a Father in heaven. You can choose to live differently on earth. That's the kind of idea that Peter is picking up on. This is really living the Jesus way, isn't it? Do you remember in Acts chapter 10, maybe you don't, no reason why you should. Acts chapter 10, Peter gives a, a, a summary of the life of Jesus to some people in a Roman household. Do you know how he summarizes the life of Jesus? He says he went about doing good. Jesus took the servant role. Jesus knew who he was and chose intentionally to serve. And he called his disciples, remember, wash their feet? He called them to do the same. And I wonder, you know, whether we sometimes forget that. Do we see that, that as applying out there in society as we live our lives? Where we're to be, you know, living stones ourselves. It says in, in earlier on, we talked about last week about Jesus being the living stone. And Peter says, you, you're like living stones as well. You kind of come and you join yourself to him. You're like little versions of Jesus in a way out there in society. Who does that? Do you do that? Do you see yourself like that? Well, street pastors do it, don't they? (laughs) We've just seen it. They're serving out there, intentionally. That's what it looks like. What does it look like when you're not uh, willing to do it? 
But when you feel yourself or hear yourself saying, well, why should I do so-and-so? Or when you start thinking about street puzzles, why should they do that? Why should they go and look after those people? They get themselves drunk, you know, they've got loads of money, they're wasting it, or why are they, you know, they're homeless, serves them right. Why should they do that? Or even when you hear yourself say, why should I do that? You're not being the servant, are you? Why should I do that? Because I choose to. Because I'm going to live intentionally as a servant in the society, in the culture where God has placed me. That's what Peter is telling us to do. Then he says you've got to live good lives as people at work, verses 18 to 22. Peter talks about being slaves. Now slavery in the ancient world um, was a bit different to how we generally reckon slavery to be. We think of slavery as, as what happened you know, in the uh, United States, fueled by, we took the slaves there, but you know, the, the Americans oppressed the, the, the blacks in the States and so on, and it was a horrible, terrible thing. All slavery is terrible, but the kind of slavery in the ancient world wasn't quite as, uh, in, as extreme as that. It was much more flexible. For example, you could make yourself a slave for a time. It was almost like... Um, the way you could uh, kind of exchange uh, your work for shelter or whatever. So um, slavery that, that the New Testament talks about isn't necessarily justifying every kind of slavery that existed, and even the slavery in the New Testament was superseded in many ways by the teaching of the Bible in the longer term anyway. But slavery could still be hard. So he says to workers, Peter says to the workers, the slaves, you need to serve consistently. You need to keep on serving, whether you like the boss or not, whether the boss treats you badly or not. And that seems really hard, doesn't it? You might have to talk that over. It's very costly. It can be very painful. He says there may be unjust suffering involved. These People in uh, reading the letter, some of them were slaves, some of them had bosses that treated them unjustly, and they suffered, and it wasn't fair. And yet Peter is still insisting that even there, God is part of it. Verse 14, there's a lovely phrase there that talks about bearing up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. He talks about that being commendable to God. Peter is saying there's actually a way that we can know God in the midst even of unjust suffering as we seek to live our lives as servants. How does that happen? Verse 21. It happens because you find yourself walking in the footsteps of Jesus. And actually those footsteps are still warm in one sense. He shows the way. He did it. He served. He suffered with dignity because he knew who he was and he knew who he was trusting himself to. It says there, doesn't it, in verse 23, as, as Peter quotes Isaiah 53. He suffered. Jesus suffered so that we can say no to sinful responses, says Peter. We can say no. We can die to sins and live for righteousness. We can say yes to living Jesus' way. Jesus died so that that could happen. And more than that, says Peter, he's kind of suffering ahead of us. He says, Peter, Peter says, Jesus suffered for our sins. 
He took the wrath of God upon himself so that we could be in a right relationship with God, so that we could be healed, says Peter here, quoting Isaiah. So that he says we can return to the shepherd, it says. He bore our sins like the sacrificial lamb that we were thinking about in Leviticus in the summer. He gave us peace with God and he is with his people as they suffer. He's in there with us, says Peter. You know, the Apostle Paul, before he became a Christian, was called Saul. And one day he uh, had an encounter with Jesus Christ. Um, Jesus uh, called to him out of heaven. He had a vision of Jesus. And, and uh, Jesus says to Saul of Tarsus, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul wasn't persecuting Jesus. He was in heaven calling out to Saul of Tarsus in the book of Acts. Who was Saul persecuting? Disciples. He was persecuting Jesus' followers. He was persecuting people who were connected to the cornerstone. Jesus. And Jesus says, you're persecuting me. I am that much in it with them. You touch them, I feel their pain. I'm in it with them. That's really important to know as we suffer. So work... For you might be like slavery. <laughs> you might suffer unjust treatment. Do you find Jesus there? Can we still live a good life there? Can goodness flow out of us when we're suffering unjustly? It's a question to think of. Now, does that mean then that we should just let people oppress us? You know, our boss uh, sacks us illegally or they do something wrong and we just like doormats, you know, let people walk. Does that, is that what Peter means? Well, again, we can debate that. I don't think that is necessarily what he means. Uh, there are examples in the New Testament where, where there were rights. For example, Paul in Acts stood up for his rights on one occasion when he was unjustly imprisoned as being a Roman citizen. We live in a society where there are laws, where there are principles, where we do have rights and we can take action. It might be that we choose to do that, but maybe for other people rather than for ourselves. The point is that if we're, wherever we are, as we're suffering, we don't have to stand on our rights for ourselves. We're free not to respond in bitterness, not to respond wanting revenge, not to respond to unjust suffering in a way that just wants to bolster up our own ego. We can say no to that. We can live in a different way. We can live the Jesus way. So you could, if you chose to, perhaps break the cycle of meanness in your workplace, if that's how it is. Or, 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 or avoid or do something more positive than the character assassination or gossip or whatever. We can be thinking, how can I do something good at work? Something that's like Jesus today. Something that looks like the way he lived. Maybe you can think about that in the, in the week. Prayer, how can I do something good? Something that looks like Jesus in my workplace, even though it's awful. That's an even bigger challenge. And if you want to, you have a story of how it works out. You can share it with us on Sunday or in your home group. Good lives at work. Finally, I'm going to go very quickly through this. Good lives 
as people in relationships. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. People who are married. Some people are married. Apologies, those who aren't married, who think, oh, I don't want to hear all this about being married, but maybe you will be sometime where you can pray for others who are or whatever. This attitude of serving is to be seen in the good lives we lead at home, with those people we love, we share our lives with. What's the point of the good life? What's the point of a Christian woman living a good life in a home where her husband isn't a believer? Why be like Jesus in our marriages? Well, because Peter says here quite clearly, doesn't he? They could be won over by your life, even without words. See, the point of living this good life, as Peter says right back in chapter 2, verse 12, is so that other people get to know Jesus as they see him through us even if we're unable to say a single word. If we can say words, say them. But if we can't, don't force them. Just get on living. Answer the questions when they come. More than that, says Peter, and he talks about women with uh, Christian uh, husbands who are not believers, how they submit, how they serve in that context. God says, that, uh, Paul says, not, uh, sorry, Peter says, not only is God working through your life and he wants your husband to, to come to know him, actually God is working in you. There's all that stuff, and again, it's been uh, interpreted different ways over the centuries, you know, about what is real beauty, is it, you know, braided hair. Apparently the Romans, they used to have these kind of beehive type hairstyles. I was doing a bit of reading on it. Obviously there's no photographs, because they didn't have photographs then, but... Um, you know, and so there's a whole kind of stuff in this passage about what's appropriate. And lots of Christians over the years say, well, that means women shouldn't wear that and that and that. But the, the point is not you should wear this or you shouldn't wear it, but there's a point about where real value, where real beauty, where, where, where the real kind of value is. And Peter says the value, the beauty, the glory is, is about your inner life. doesn't mean, you know, you deliberately make yourself look terrible on the outside. But the thing that matters is the inner life. So Peter is saying, uh, in the, as you serve in your marriage, if you're a non-believing, uh, if you're a married woman, uh, married to an unbelieving husband, or uh, I guess it applies anyway, but the way you li- live your life, the, the Lord will work through that. But the Lord is also working in you as well, and that's true for all of us. And then there's stuff about husbands being considerate. And the language here is of the husband serving his wife. Actually, some of the, the words used are often used in, in contexts that relate to sexual relationships between husbands and wives. And Peter could be actually saying, husbands, don't use your power selfishly. You can apply that if you want to. Don't demand sex from your wife just for you, is what Peter may be saying here. He says, no, your partners in your spiritual life together, your heirs together of spiritual life, you need to be praying together These are examples of the way we live Jesus-shaped lives in our marriages as men and as women. There's a bit more. Is all this a bit regressive? Some of you may be thinking, well, this sounds a bit kind of regressive. Well, it is in a particular culture at a particular time. It's easy to baptise traditional values as you read a passage like this by thinking as alpha males how we'd like it to be. (laughs) 
especially if we come from particular backgrounds. But a few points just to make quickly. Submission is what this whole passage is about. Everyone is meant to be submitting here. Everyone is meant to be having a servant-like attitude. It's not just the women and the wives in verse 1 of chapter 3. It's the hallmark of the entire Christian community. That's important. That phrase, some of you ladies might be thinking, gentle and quiet spirit, that's a bit, you know, that's a bit sexist. Um, do, you, do you remember who said that I, someone said, I am meek, gentle. Who said that? Jesus said that. Who is described as being gentle and lowly, riding, riding on the back of a donkey? It was Jesus as he came as the king. So being you know, gentle is not just about women, it's about all of us being like Jesus, okay? So it's not necessary. And then Sarah, now that's an interesting picture. Sarah, from the Old Testament, if you look into the picture, and Sarah and Abraham's marriage, we've got more about that than possibly, I've checked that any other marriage kind of in, in ancient kind of Old Testament history. And I'll tell you, Sarah was one feisty lady. She shares Abraham's faith in time. She had her own mind about stuff. She actually takes, she tells, it's Sarah that tells Abraham to take Hagar and have a child by him. And it's Sarah who tells Abraham to throw out Hagar afterwards. Now, I'm not justifying that. I'm just saying that Peter's saying Sarah's a certain kind of role model. You know, it doesn't, you know, it's, it's interesting to look at that. She's not the late 50s, early 60s US mom that some of the American pastors who advocate women's subordination are harking back to. Sarah wasn't like that kind of role model. There's more going on here, I think, than, than we can get at, certainly in a short time, in, in, a, in a passage like this. There's more we could say, but uh, talk to me afterwards, or let's talk about it at home groups, uh, or whatever, if we want to. Let's finish. So where to live good lives, then? Because we're not at home here. We're aliens, we're strangers. We serve because we're free. We can choose to live the Jesus way, knowing him with us, even as we suffer unjustly, as he did. But we do know that God will be glorified. He will be at work. Others can be won over. God will visit us, so we live the Jesus way, in society, at work, and at home. How's that going to look in your life this week? You're going to take the servant's role? Well, you'll find Jesus right there, if you do. I was thinking of a symbol of a servanthood. And I was thinking, you know, Jesus took the towel, remember in, in John 13, he, he, he put a wrap to towel, and I thought... Maybe we could have little towels that we could take with us, but that was too expensive. And then I was thinking, you know, when you're in a coffee shop, we were in a coffee shop last Sunday, actually, in Warwick, and, and we sat down, the table was all, all kind of scruffy, and immediately we sat down, someone came over, and they had um, one of these. And they wiped the table, and we sat down. They served us. Symbol of service. If you look into the chair in front of you, or if you're in the gallery, at the end of your row, if you live in the centre, if you sit in the centre, you will find a little square. Can you pass them along? Can you find them? If you lose them, don't worry now, but you can get, if you want one, you've not got one, get one at the back afterwards. Where they, at the... Okay? This is a little symbol of the cloth, the servant's cloth. 
Okay, you won't wipe a very big table with it, and it's not for that. <laughs> why, not, why not just take it with you this week? Maybe put it in your wallet or somewhere. Stick it on your fridge. How are you going to kind of embrace the servant role, the Jesus way, this week? Whether it's in your marriage, if you're married, or with your housemates, if you're not married, but you share a house with loads of friends, on your course in your society, at work. How are we going to do that? Let's ask God to help us live the servant way for Jesus' sake.